0: With just two weeks to go until Easter and with next week being our annual celebration of Palm Sunday, today we are concluding our five week Lenten sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, Each week we've been covering two commandments and before we get to the the last two, figured we'd recap the first eight real quick. I'm sure most of us have these memorized, but just in case we do not. They are introduced in the book of Exodus with these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, that's God's introduction. And then uh, the first four commandments are about our relationship with God. So you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself an idol, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then the next six are about our relationships with each other. We've covered four of these so far. Honor your your father and your mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. Over the first four weeks, we've explored these first eight commandments, or the first eight commandments, uh, both on their own and in the context of the ministry of Jesus. We're going to take that same approach today. Uh, If you missed any of those first four sermons and you want to get caught up, they are, of course, available on our website. Before we get into the last two commandments, though, I I have something uh, to tell you that is significant from the world of music. This has been a, a very significant Uh, development in the world of music. My favorite band is the group U2 uh, and they have been in the news a lot lately. So the lead singer Bono uh, released a a memoir in the fall. Of course I have uh, well actually several hard copies of the book. Uh, My wife Whitney also bought me the audio version of the book which is read by Bono himself and it is absolutely fantastic. I actually was listening to it on the way in to church this morning. It's like I'm I'm driving to church with an old friend in the passenger seat who's telling me the history of the music that has been so incredibly impactful in my life. And then, and this is true, after listening to a chapter, I read it in the book. (laughs) And I realize that that may seem a bit over the top, but I really love this band. And the book has these very cool illustrations. Uh, You get the point. Members of the band have been on talk shows and podcasts a lot lately. They were actually recognized at the Kennedy Center Honors in December. There's a new documentary about the band on Disney+. And then a week ago Friday, St. Patrick's Day, not coincidentally, they released a new album. Uh, now, the release of a new U2 album is a major event in my life. Uh, in this case, the, the new album does not contain any new songs. Instead, it is 40 of their songs that they have re-recorded to reflect this stage of their lives. They're actually all in their 60s now, and they're, they've been at the, at the pinnacle of success for several decades. All of which is to say, I've recently been uh, re-immersed in their music, it's kind of all you two all the time for me right now, and there's a word that has been showing up again and again. The title of Bono's memoir is Surrender. The new album is Songs of Surrender. And if you know much about the band, you, you know that that word is laden with theological meaning. The story of their music is inextricably linked with the story of their Christian faith, which is uh, part of what has drawn me to this band for so long. It's made their music part of the faith soundtrack of my life. And this concept of um, surrender is an important one in the Christian faith. We probably don't talk about it enough, in fact. To surrender in war is to lose, of course, and that is something to avoid at all reasonable cost. But to surrender in our relationship with God, on the other hand, is actually its actually a requirement. Because when we surrender to God's will for our lives, which is to say, uh, when we give over our ego and our will and our desires uh, to the care of God, who wants nothing more than to be in relationship with us, well, that's when our lives uh, of meaning and purpose truly begin. And the truth of, of the Ten Commandments is that they're, they're not some unrealistic set of demands that is imposed upon us from above. Instead, they're, they're guides to uh, a good life. Following the Ten Commandments, and as we'll see shortly, what Jesus calls the two greatest commandments, is a way of, of choosing to surrender to the God who loves us more than we can possibly know. So with all that, by way of introduction, uh, let's hear the last two commandments now. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Exodus. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the ninth commandment by itself uh, is a command to be uh, truthful in legal proceedings. That was the original intent of the, uh, the law um, on Sinai. Uh, the legal system in general, and especially the legal system in the ancient world, depended upon the testimony of others, often in cases that Uh, could result in punishment by death. So that lying under oath was and is obviously a very serious matter. Serious enough to make it into the first 10 commandments given to us by God. That's the very specific uh, legal meaning of the ninth commandment in this particular chapter of Exodus. But when combined with other commandments in the law, specifically Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11, there's this broader prohibition in the law against dishonesty in general. Leviticus 19:11 says, "'You shall not lie to one another.'" Now that's, that's basic human wisdom, right? That's basic motherly advice. This is such a, a basic commandment that I actually want to move on to the next one. In the 10th commandment, the Hebrew word that we translate as covet is hamad. Uh, It means specifically to desire, to take pleasure in, or to find something precious, usually with the connotation of wanting to possess that desired thing, or in some cases, that desired person. Which means that it's actually a different kind of sin Uh, than those dealt with by the eight commandments that immediately precede it. Commandments two through nine are all about what we do. There are prohibitions against having idols, against misusing the Lord's name, against murder, adultery, stealing, and lying. And then there are commandments to keep the Sabbath through worship and rest, and then to honor, um, which means to respect, to care for our parents. That's eight of 10 commandments about how we act. The 10th commandment, on the other hand, is about about how we feel. It's about whether or not we surrender to feelings of desire for what others have. It's a commandment that is um, about what's internalized in us, feelings that have the power to lead to violations of the other commandments. And it's striking to me that the the 10 commandments begin and end with the same kind of internalized commandments, neither the first nor the tenth commandment are about what we do per se. The first commandment is about uh, who we choose to be our God. It's about who, uh, to whom we choose to surrender, to give over our loyalty and our trust and our egos and our wills. And that choice makes all the difference in the world. It profoundly impacts how we follow or do not follow the other commandments of our faith. In just a few weeks, a group of 40 of us are traveling to Greece for a a pilgrimage in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, and the closer we get to the trip, the closer I am about it. On our first full day in Greece, one of our stops is the city of Philippi, which holds an honored place in the history of Christianity. Philippi was uh, an important community of support for Paul, really throughout his entire ministry, It was also to the Philippians that Paul wrote one of my very favorite scriptures. Every chapter of the letter to the Philippians has these memorable verses and uh, passages, like chapter one, verse six, that says, the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion, and then there's this great Christ him in the second chapter you may not know it by that name but uh, you would if I started uh, reading from it and then there's um, this from the the third chapter forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus but it's the fourth chapter that is perhaps the most quotable section of the letter to the Philippians with one of the most quoted verses in the entire New Testament. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You've probably heard that before. But it's a verse immediately preceding that famous 13th verse that is uh, particularly relevant for us today. Paul says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Spiritual contentment is the opposite of coveting. It's, it's fully living into the 10th commandment. It reflects um, a heart that has truly surrendered to God, which of course is the goal. Okay, well, let's, let's uh, kind of wrap up our sermon series here, hearing from Jesus. That seems appropriate. This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. When the Pharisees heard, that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. I'm sure if you've been around the church very long, you know, you're familiar with uh, at least a paraphrase of this passage. This story from Jesus' ministry, a version of which appears in Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, truly gets at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. As we've heard throughout this series, Jesus is not at all shy about giving his disciples commandments, and sometimes As we've seen, those commandments can set an incredibly high bar for us, but when pressed by scholars of the law to to articulate the law's essentials, the heart of the law, he gives an answer that has rung through the centuries as the standard for those whose faith is in him. Love God and love others on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets One of the greatest minds in human history, Albert Einstein said something profoundly insightful, I think, he said, uh, make everything as simple as possible, but not simpler. According to the rabbis, there are 613 commandments in the law, 613 that begin with those first 10. And I I imagine that that uh, might seem overwhelming at times, When the Pharisees challenged Jesus to identify the essentials of the law, he gave an answer that has endured now for almost 2,000 years. He made it as simple as possible, but not simpler. Love God and love others, the common thread being love. It's not always easy, mind you, but it's simple enough to understand, and it is the focus of of the Christian life as we grow in our faith. In our United Methodist tradition, we believe in this concept called Christian perfection, uh, which the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, um, did believe was achievable in this life. Now, perfection in this case does not mean that we don't make mistakes, that's not possible. We're all imperfect humans doing the best we can. Christian perfection for Wesley meant perfect love for God and others, which, you know, realistically can only be possible in glimpses, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, we believe that it is indeed possible. As United Methodists, our theological emphasis is on the journey of, of sanctification, by which we mean continuing to grow in love for God and others throughout our lives. And John Wesley urged his United Methodists to be going on to perfection, going on to perfection, knowing full well that it is a lifelong endeavor. We believe that everything that we do along our spiritual journeys in some way helps us to grow in love for God and others. For us, that is the point of the Christian life. So worship and Bible study and Sunday school and small groups and service work and financial generosity and prayer and meditation. And whatever, whatever practices we've Uh, chosen for Lent help us grow in love for God and others, so giving something up for Lent, uh, adding a spiritual practice for Lent, reading through the Gospel of Matthew along with the congregation during the season of Lent. What I think Jesus is saying in our passage for today is that when we focus on our love for God and others, we are very likely to obey all of the Ten Commandments. Surrendering to God's will for our lives means becoming convinced that the greatest commandments truly are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, as our passage for today said, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It really is that simple. Not easy, mind you, but simple. When I downloaded Songs of Surrender on St. Patrick's Day, I was both uh, delighted and not at all surprised to see that the very first track on the album is one of my, well, it is my favorite U2 song of all time. It's also one of their best known and most popular songs. It's called One, and chances are you've heard it. One is about a lot of things. The band has said that it, it can be understood to be about a troubled romantic relationship It can also be understood to be about a troubled relationship between a child and their parents. And it's filled with these overt Christian references. Jesus is even called by name, and it builds to an anthem about unity, about our responsibility to care for each other in a world that is filled with sorrow and hurt. And there's this this beautiful line near the end of the song that has captivated me since the, the first time I heard it. Love is a temple, love the higher law. (laughs) Now they're not talking about puppy love or overly sentimental love or the shallow affection of fleeting relationships. They're talking about the love of God, the the love that God uh, shows us, demonstrates to us, models for us in Jesus. The, the love that we are called as Christians to offer back to God and to offer to others. One of the central messages of the Christian faith is that the love of God truly is the higher law. So as we draw close to the end of Lent, as we draw nearer to our holiest day of the year, may that higher law be the guide and the rule for our life. Amen.